0: Hello, I'm Cassie Gillespie, and you're listening to Welcome to the Field, a podcast for child welfare workers, caregivers, and community partners. Today, my colleague Pete Cudney will be your host, and he'll be talking with Samantha Zellinger and Jessica Pelliquin about using consultation in domestic violence cases. Before we jump in, let me introduce them so you know who you're listening to. Samantha Zellinger has been a domestic violence specialist with the Vermont DCF Family Services for the last nine years. Samantha has worked with survivors and victims of domestic and sexual violence for over 30 years at crisis hotlines, shelters, law offices, and child welfare settings. So she knows her stuff. We're also going to hear from Jess Pelliquin today. Jess is a DCF Family Services worker, and prior to this, Jess worked as a Lund substance abuse case manager and Easter Seals as a family engagement specialist. Okay, here we go.
1: Thanks, Cassie. Jess, Samantha, it's so great to have you on Welcome to the Field.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
1: Absolutely. I'm excited. Um, so today, we're, we're going to talk about your partnership, your collaboration, and how you go about consulting together uh, on cases that involve domestic violence. Um, we won't focus on domestic violence as a phenomenon itself, um, but if any listeners are interested in learning more about domestic violence, we'd point you to the Safe and Together Institute. Uh, they, they offer a wealth of online training resources and their own podcast, and listeners can find links to those resources in the show notes for this episode. Also, one note before we dive in, um, I'm guessing it could be helpful for you to recall work you've done together in support of maybe specific families as we're talking. And so we'll just be careful to not use names or any other identifying information if we do that. So if you want to do that, perhaps you could just identify a case just by the first letter of the family's last name. Would that work? Okay. Great. Thanks. All right. So to get started, um, when, when did you first meet each other and, and how long have you worked together?
3: So, I started in um, two thousand and twelve as a domestic violence specialist and um and then just started a couple of years later than that.
2: yep. I came in two thousand and fifteen as a family engagement specialist with Easter Seals.
1: Okay. Okay. So you first met each other. You weren't in the family service worker role then. Okay. Correct. Um, and so when, Jess, when did you begin as a family service worker with Family Services Division?
2: Uh, the fall of 2019.
1: Okay. Okay. And so when you started as a family service worker, um, what was your training, like how much exposure had you had to understanding domestic violence um, at that point?
2: I would say I had a basic understanding, like the power dynamics and the the wheel around how it encompassed more than just physical violence. Um, But that's really where it landed.
1: Okay. And that was probably to some degree training that was offered to you in our foundations training that all of the Vermont Family Service workers get in the beginning. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, um, as you know, I'm involved in some of that training. And um, my experience of that training is that there's so much material that needs to be covered for the role of a family service worker that um, we have to cover such a breadth, but we can't go into great great depth in terms of any one particular area. It was was that your experience of the, it was, the conversations yeah. about domestic violence? Okay. So you had a maybe a surface level um, understanding, um, but not real deep yet. Okay. And – as I know, as you, you both know, and, and probably our listeners know as well, the job of a family service worker is very complicated. I mean, it's folks who do that job have to be highly skilled professionals. You have to handle really complicated situations that involve risk and and high consequence outcomes. Um, and you you are supporting families that are struggling with so many different aspects that you really can't be... Um, an expert yourself in all of those different areas, right? Um, Would you agree with that, I would agree. (laughs) Yeah. And so, especially when you're a new family service worker, I would imagine that can be daunting. And so, for that purpose, um, you know, Vermont's family services division has – uh, consultants available who have expertise in in specific areas and and so Sa- Samantha, that's been your role. You said since two thousand twelve, or was that your role prior to two thousand twelve as well elsewhere?
3: Um, I've worked in the domestic violence field, sexual violence field um, for about thirty years, but in this particular position since two thousand twelve. Okay. So, yeah, uh, you know, and while I don't carry a caseload like Jess and I'm not responsible for a particular family. It's my job to do that consultant piece and help them make sure that um, that they're getting that expert advice on how to handle that particular topic. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That makes sense. And I think it's just so great that. Family Services Division has folks like you. <clears throat> I would imagine, Jess, that there are times where you might need to um, consult on substance abuse issues. Well, maybe less for you. That's been a, a role that you've carried in the past as well, right? It has, yes.
2: Okay. I, I was the family treatment court case manager with Easter Seals and uh, the Lund substance abuse case manager before coming into family services. Right, right.
1: So you do bring some expertise in that area. But in general, a new family service worker is probably at times going to need to consult uh, about domestic violence. At other times, if they don't have your experience, they might need to consult about substance use. They might need to consult about trafficking in a case, right? So there's all of these really particular uh, situations that might come up where consultation is actually a really important skill. but my experience of consultation is that both for the person offering the consultation, so that would be you, Samantha, and the person seeking the consultation, there's actually a set of skills that you need to develop together in order for that to be most effective. Would you agree with that?
3: I would, and I would also say that because Jess played that role in a previous position when she was the lo- the land worker, um, she understood that. So she understood that what the role of the consult would be and was able to really embrace that then as an FSW and come to our consults in a different way that maybe a a different new worker could
1: come to it. That's such a good point. Were you thinking – do you think you were thinking about that at the time when you started to use consultation that like what's the best way to approach this conversation? What did your early consultation conversations with Samantha – you know about domestic violence. what what were you focused on? What did those what did those look like?
2: When we first started consulting, I relied a lot on Sam to give me clear cut next steps and wording. like i I wanted concrete support because um, domestic violence is intimidating. Mm. And you know, I I wanted to be very mindful and careful about how I approach things. And I had a basic understanding, and I went into consults looking for very direct support.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And is that your recollection as well, Samantha, early on?
3: Yeah, Yeah. I think that, you know, that the direction that they were looking for, that Jess was looking for in particular, but also a lot of new FSWs is – you know, what do I do next? How right. do I handle this? How do I make sure that I don't make this worse for the families? Um, especially with Jess's role as a CF worker where the children are at home. Um, we want to make sure that we're not putting anybody at additional risk by trying to address the concerns that we have. And so um, she was like, tell me what to do, what to say, what to write that's <laughs> going to make it better. And, um, and then The more conversations we had, um, the more she needed that less Mm step-by-step.
1: Yeah, I started to understand the concepts yourself, I would imagine, Jess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so um, if I remember correctly from our our previous conversations and and in full disclosure, I was a part of this as well. um, The whole... um, St. Johnsbury District then chose to uh, dive into some conversations together, some training related to domestic violence and just I think we said that was about ten months after you started as a family service worker, yep, okay. Um, before that happened, how quickly when you were a family service worker, did you have to support families on your caseload where domestic violence was was present was that was that pretty immediate in your work?
2: Yeah, I would say within the first Six months. I had a fairly heavy DV caseload.
1: Okay, and so that may be specific to the the kind of case that a worker carries, but it's probably fair to say that a new family service worker in just about any role is going to encounter families where there's domestic violence present fairly early on in their work. Would you absolutely? Yeah, you would agree too. I think a
3: DV caseload um, will ebb and flow. Mm -hmm. You never know exactly what's gonna. what's going to come across your desk. And even if, you know, the supervisor is saying, well, I'm going to try to give you the easy cases, you never know what's going to develop with with a case. So you have to be prepared to handle whatever comes up within that case. Um, It turned out with Jess, like as soon as she finished Foundations and was getting a caseload, I was like, that's my family, that's my family, that's my family. Mm. And so I think... At least 50 percent of her cases um, were having um, active domestic violence concerns that we needed to talk about.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I'm putting myself in the shoes of a new family service worker. You take this, you know, important job on. You go through a foundations training where you're learning material that's, you know, five miles wide but only an inch deep. And then you have a caseload and very quickly you're – you need to be able to handle these situations. And so early on, you were using consultation in that way. And then about 10 months into your work, um, St. Johnsbury District uh, used the Safe and Together model, their overview training. And everyone watched it. It's a, it's a really great resource that that's hosted online. Everyone watched that. And then um, we all discussed it together. Um, and how – Jess, how do you think that – impacted your understanding of domestic violence and in particular, your partnership with Samantha when you would consult on cases?
2: I think the the training definitely deepened my understanding and uh, it helped me, it literally put together the pieces of why Sam was asking some of the questions she was asking. Um, and so it was like a light bulb moment where I was like, oh, it all makes sense. Um, and so then I was able to um, kind of start eliciting that information without being prompted. Like it just became more natural, and I, I think once I had a better understanding, it just flowed.
1: That makes sense, Samantha. What's, what's your recollection, both for Jess and maybe other, you know, other professionals in that district of, um, their thinking about domestic violence? What, what is it about that particular training? Do you think that is helpful?
3: I think it really gives people um, the basic understanding about the pattern of behaviors that we're looking for so that we can um, assess the risk that we're looking at in in a particular family. In in Jess's case, I mean, you're looking at, she just finished Foundations Mm -hmm. and then we went into pandemic mode and we all had to adjust, like how are we going to do our jobs a little differently? And so um, Jess was really... Open to the idea of like, I want your help. I want to know how you can assist me in these cases. And I have all these cases. And so we had um we had set up we were probably doing consults, regular consults maybe once every other week, and on an as needed basis. So you know, while we had an appointment every other week to talk about things, she was also calling or emailing or texting me and saying, "Um, I need this or that from you. And then later on in that year, we had this, training with the whole district, and she was able to then go, now I understand why your brain, how your brain functions with this and how you're asking these questions and then able to take it back to the families and able to extract that information that she knew that she would need for me in order for us to have that conversation moving forward. What does this family need? Like, what information am I going to need? Because she's the one that's in there. She's meeting with the families. I'm not. And she was able to then bring that back to me and say, this is what I know. Now tell me what you know about DV so that I can go back to the family and help make things better. Ah, oh,
1: that makes so much sense. So that matches up just with what you said about being able to, to kind of see the larger whole, the whole pattern that's going on. And it sounds like in the beginning, maybe you didn't, may not have even known what to be looking for or even what questions to be asking. Samantha, maybe you were more of a... I don't want to say – were you more passive in your use of, of consultation, like kind of waiting for her to point the direction?
2: Yeah, I think in the beginning, I knew I knew what I was observing in the home. I knew what the risks were. I didn't know how to necessarily always approach them. I, did, I worried very much about wording. Um, and so in the beginning, I would rely heavily on Sam to um, ask and elicit information from me or tell me what I needed to get. Whereas now I i am more aware on a deeper level of what I'm observing. And I have a better understanding of how to approach those situations in the moment and elicit information. So that way, when I'm going back and talking with Sam, we're having a conversation, not me um, asking 7,000 questions and then like taking down concrete notes and then going back and going at it again like it's um it's I don't want to say casual but it's very natural um mm. it's a it's um more collaborative versus um a dictation
1: yeah i mean it sounds like it sounds like it's co-assessment almost at this point because you have this larger understanding um, you're able to bring your understanding, double check it, maybe with Samantha, and and then Samantha, maybe you take it to a greater level of depth or, or add some nuances. Is, is am I getting that right?
3: Yeah, I think that the important thing to understand is like I have that DV expertise, but she has the family expertise. You know, so she's when when we're meeting, um, I'm not the expert in the room. I'm the expert with domestic violence she's the expert in other things and so we're collaborating that information together and figuring and figure out how to make that help the family yeah
1: that makes sense that local kind of expertise knowledge about the family is right that's really really something that only the the worker who builds the relationship and spends the time with the family can can bring that makes sense you really need both parts of of that equation in the conversation um, Samantha, kind of rolling back time to when you were newer with this and 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 facing it on, you know, half of the families that you were supporting. And um, I would imagine that that may have carried some kind of psychic weight, right? You were talking about not wanting to say the wrong thing. And Samantha had talked about early on workers can be worried about not wanting to make things worse. And um, do you remember that? Was that stressful for you? Like, what's that experience like for a new worker?
2: It's very intimidating, And it's very stressful Um, because like Sam said, a lot of all my cases, um, children are still in the home. And so I am trying to balance holding perpetrators accountable and working with victims to keep them safe and give them tools and ensure that when I'm walking out the door, I haven't stirred the pot to put that victim or those children at risk when I leave. Um, And so Gaining an understanding and the tools to be able to do that successfully um, has been a long road, and it's definitely made a difference in in the work that I'm able to do uh,
1: yeah, i mean it, it it sounds like for a new family service worker, there could be if 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 we weren't talking about it in a different way, um there could be almost an implied expectation that that worker would would carry with them that all right, I've, I've finished foundations, I'm carrying a caseload, I, I, I want to contribute, everyone else in my office is carrying big caseloads, and I want to do my best. So that it seems like there could be uh, an expectation that a worker would put on themselves that they should know this stuff.
2: Absolutely.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, and I think even as seasoned workers, you feel like you've seen it before or you've been doing it long enough, like you should just know, and, and the reality is, is we can't know. All of it, and every family dynamic is different. And I think the only way that we're able to truly step back and assess that and make sure we're looking at all angles and keeping everyone safe is to actively utilize those consultations.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I I could I could picture a worker worrying that um, to ask for consultation is a sign of weakness or something like that. But in reality, it's it's a sign of. Um, professional development that you have self awareness that you shouldn't know all of that. That's not what you're asked to be an expert in, and so therefore you should turn to someone else for for a partnership. That makes sense,
3: absolutely. And keeping in mind that you know the DV specialists, we consult with each other. We don't assume that we know everything about things or we're remembering things. So, like if Jess comes to me with a complicated case, sometimes I'll say to her, "I'm not sure." but we have a unit meeting coming up. I'll do a consult with the rest of the DV specialists and I'll get back to you. So if the expert in the room is saying I need to do a consult, then the FSW in the room should be feeling comfortable with that as well.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Just that kind of consultation ongoing as a really, really healthy way to check our thinking with other people. And and therefore not carry risk alone, right? Yeah, that makes sense. So, um so now that you're at a more advanced level of of partnership together, um what are what are some of the themes maybe that that you find yourselves talking about? Obviously it must be unique to every family, but I would also imagine that there may be some themes that come up more frequently in your in your consultation. Is that true? I don't know.
3: Um I think some of the common themes are um staff safety. Okay. Sometimes domestic violence um, also puts our staff at risk. And so trying to assess whether or not um, there needs to be a second staff there, you need to take law enforcement, you know, things like that. Um, I think that um, another one is language, making sure that we're not using um, victim-blaming language in our case plans or when we're reporting out to court and sort of talking about that i often give her some pointers and questions to ask um to get a deeper understanding of what's really going on in the family sometimes we get at a surface level and like well let's let's go down this road or maybe that road will give us a better understanding on things um so i think those are some of the main things that yeah. i would point out
2: yeah i think i think one of the shifts that has also happened is with case plans i used to like ask Sam to give me action steps around domestic violence to be mindful of wording. Right. And um, now I write them and then I review them with her. And if we need to make some tweaks, we do. Um, I think safety is definitely um, something that we touch on. And there are times where um, cases aren't necessarily flagged for DV in the beginning that I'll go in and notice um, some behaviors or some things and bring them back to Sam and and just kind of give a download of like, I know this isn't on your radar and here's what I'm observing. Um, and sometimes it's not even domestic violence between parents. Um, there's a power and control dynamic in one of my families between a parent and the, and the youth. And um, that actually got a little tricky at one point. And so just bringing that back and processing it, Um, Because sometimes I just need a minute to process and to gain kind of a little more clarity around how to take a step back and change my thinking because I don't go into it thinking of DV, right? Um, And so I use that time sometimes for that.
1: That's great. And along the way, there there must have been times, well, I'm assuming um, that – that you disagreed with one another or maybe initially had just had a different perspective on a path and you're both nodding your heads. Yeah. What's coming to mind? How did you work through that? I mean, yeah, just share a little about that if you would.
2: So we've had a couple of cases where we haven't um, necessarily agreed. And I think I, what we have done is when we meet, we've kind of put both our sides out there, you know, Sam talks about her concerns and why and I will talk about, you know, what I'm observing in the home and why I support moving forward in a different manner. And then we do our best to kind of meet in the middle. Um, and so I'll take some of the things that Sam has suggested and, and do my best to implement them. And and then she'll take what I'm saying and try to help figure out how to support me in and making that happen safely.
3: I think i um... It's important to understand that you know DV specialists don't carry a caseload, so we don't carry the liability. We don't make the decisions on things. We're there to point out so, some pitfalls, some possibilities, some figuring things out, and then we're looking at it from two different standpoints. I'm looking at it from a domestic violence lens. She's looking at it from a child protection lens, um, and we. Don't get offended when we go down a different road. You know, it's fine. You know, it's like, all right, it doesn't fit with what you need to do. A judge has said something different. A treatment provider said something different. You can't do what I want you to do. And that's okay. It's about the conversation that gets us moving forward. Yeah,
1: that makes sense. That's well said. Yeah, because of your different roles and responsibilities, um, the, the final outcome may be Uh, impacted to some degree by things like, you know, legal thresholds or or, right court actions. Yeah, that's a really good point, Samantha.
2: I think the most important piece with that, though, is like just because we disagree, like Sam said, like she doesn't get offended and I don't just shut down because she's not giving me what I don't want, what I want to hear. Like we take the time to put out on the table all of the information that we have, all of our barriers and where we're at. So that way we can navigate what the best course of action is that kind of meets hopefully both of our our, our needs. Um, I think it's important to f- still fully listen to and share your side to make sure that you're getting the best outcome. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, you've, you've talked about some of the patterns or themes that have come up in consultation. I'm curious about maybe a couple more. Um, are there times, Jess, where... Uh, I, Figuring out how to engage with a perpetrator um, who's using power control domestic violence. Are there times where that's uh, tricky and, and you focus on that?
2: Uh, I think sometimes that is our main focus. Mm. Um, I think in the beginning, that's one of the things I needed a lot of support around because i never I want I always want to hold them accountable and I never want to rock the boat. I don't want to create more risk. I don't want to make them mad and then leave and have that household be in chaos um and so finding a balance on you know not pushing their buttons and not ignoring the behavior um was a tricky balance in the beginning
3: i think i think it always is um you know and it, because i understand more about domestic violence and understand more about patterns um i'm more comfortable with the idea of talking to perpetrators um than the average FSW would, but it's oftentimes it's it's not about giving them more competence. It's about giving them more confidence in having those conversations. So it's you know a little bit of practice with them and saying you know well you can't win an argument in this way. So let's go down that road, and um, just giving them the tools to figure out how to have that conversation and pay attention to the cues that they're giving and not only in terms of being able to pull back and keep safety but also what does that cue give me for information for the pattern that you can now bring back to me and we can talk about what does that mean for safety for the kids and for the for the mom
1: yeah that's i i think of this work as being potentially so impactful for everyone involved, right, for the families and also for the workers, um, you know, engaging in these situations. And very frequently when you're when you're actually engaged with the family, you're alone. And any partnerships that we can develop where where though we're physically alone in that moment, our planning and our thinking has involved others. I mean, we, we talk about the impact of secondary traumatic stress on the professionals who do this work. And, and, um, and we talk about um, the risks of professional dangerousness, right, of, of carrying risk in isolation and, and not reaching out for partnership. And, and Samantha, as you were talking, I was just hit, I was struck by how important the relationship is. You were saying it's, it's to build this confidence. Um, and, and we talk in the field about how the difference between stress becoming toxic for the professionals versus manageable and tolerable over a long period of time, really is the presence of supportive professional relationships. And, and it sounds like this particular relationship, just that you've developed with Samantha, is a really critical one, just for your own well-being.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And we did a we did a lot of work. I mean, in the beginning, uh, you know, we had a conversation around like. Sam was like, here's the basic of what I need when you come into these. And I was like, here are all the things I need from you when I come into these things, right? Like, we had a conversation about what consults needed to look like for us to both be able to get what we needed out of it. And that has since shifted. But, like, we stay on top of those things. And those are
3: things that we initiated.
1: Mm, Well done.
3: And. Through this process, and I don't even know if Jess knows this, but through the process, um, in because of my role, I've also been doing the coaching trainings with um with the partnership. So, you know, I've been getting that feedback of how to handling those, and so I've then been using those in my consultations. How do I use coaching as a way to do my consultation? So that's helpful. Has
1: it been helpful? Oh, that's great. Yeah,
3: we just finished those yesterday. So that's been really helpful in in transitioning. How do I get how do I get that stuff to Jess that I need to get to Jess? How do I use that in my consultations?
1: Yeah, coaching isn't it such a great model for dialogue, but, yeah. but dialogue that can be reflective. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. I I like coaching too. Thanks, Sam. Um, another pattern that I'm curious about um, the role. An importance of engaging um, kin, extended family members, uh, is that is that a important piece of working to support families with domestic violence?
2: It is because we we know the more people that we pull in, um, the more eyes on, the more people that are that are that know the patterns, that know the risk, um, the more we can build in safety.
3: Yeah, and with the CF cases in particular, those kids are home, and so. We want to make sure that the extended family, the neighbors, the um, the fictive kin are aware of what the concerns are and that they are going to be providing the safety at nights, on weekends, you know, when we're not the person that they're going to be calling. But also because eventually we're going to be stepping out. You know, Jess's role is not permanent, and she's going to be stepping out. And so who's going to provide that safety, that accountability, that um, encouragement for behavioral change so that everybody is safer in the home when DCF steps out?
1: It sounds like it's one of the most critical aspects that you have to really build or help a family to build, right? Absolutely. For those support networks. Thank you. Um, S- Samantha, in in your consultation in in the St. Johnsbury district and a kind of broader um, level, um, are there are there patterns? Like, what does your consultation look like? Do you have things scheduled regularly? Is it drop in? Could you just talk a little bit about how you do that?
3: So, the DCF specialists are DCF DV specialists are allowed to create their consultations in any way that makes sense between their own practice and that particular district. Um, when we went into pandemic mode, um, it was really trying to figure out how to make this all work from my house and um and a lot of the fsws were in their houses too and, and you know how do we make this happen so um borrowing from some of my other dv specialists and trying to figure out how that all worked um we developed a plan that i for my ongoing and cf workers um i do monthly scheduled consultations so once a month Hopefully, sometimes it's every six weeks or so, but um, I try to meet with each one of my FSWs to say, tell me what's going on with your families. Tell me what's new. Tell me what you're struggling with. Who's your new cases? So then I'm staying up to date on who should be on my radar. um, And then we're not only doing consultations in crisis mode. So there may be a crisis that comes up, you know, two weeks after a regular consultation, and you're more than welcome to call me, text me, email me, and say, we need to talk, and that's fine. But I basically know what's going on with the family already, and um, we don't have to spend half an hour getting an update on things. And we've already been working on things. And then for my um, front-end workers, I have... Um, developed for my districts, that, uh, uh, what I call drop-in. And so once a week, I have an hour set aside that is drop-in for them, and they can um, jump on teams. I'll be, I'll be there, and they can talk about any new case or pivot points in cases, like if they are doing the SDM tools, or they're um, changing a safety plan, or they're getting ready to close, or some, going to court, or something like that. And they just want to talk and say, hey, we're, we're making this change. This is what's going on. What? How does that impact what, we're, what we've what we been seeing with here? Um, so those are the things that I've developed in my districts. The other DV specialists may have different things that they do in their districts. Sure,
1: sure. Oh, I appreciate that so much. It sounds like a recognition that this work is so busy um, that if we're not careful, if we don't design habits that force us to do something different, we can just become uh, reactive to whatever is the most critical crisis on our caseload and and that the patterns that you're trying to set up, Samantha, um, are regular to be proactive, to to keep everyone a little bit ahead so that we're not waiting for those crisis situations to then react. I appreciate that so much. Um, So I I think we're probably getting to the the close to the end of our conversation. So, you know, I just maybe I have some of those kind of magic wand kind of questions for, for each of you. So my question for you, Jess, is um, what would you want to offer as advice to someone who's just started as an FSW and who's very likely to have to support, you know, families involved with domestic violence? What, what would you be offering as advice?
2: Um, don't be afraid to ask questions and, and use your consultants. Like it's not a sign of weakness and they're there for a reason. Like I cannot stress enough how important and how helpful it
1: is just to to ask. So just dive dive into it. Try it. If you're hesitant, try it and see. Yep. Okay. Great. And and similarly, Samantha, for you, um, what would you uh, wish for or it, or offer as advice to new family service workers across the state um, related to their their experiences working with families where there's domestic violence present?
3: Um, similar to what Jess said, I would say that, you know, we're there, um, so please use us. But I would also just like to say that we spend a lot of time working within the community to with our community partners, um, with the domestic violence programs or other um, programs. And so we can also be that liaison to those programs to say, you know, what do you have that can help this family get over this hump, get a new behavioral pattern, what makes it better for them. And so we can be reaching out to those programs for you to say, you know, what might make it easier for you.
1: Yeah, very helpful. Great. Hey, I want to thank you both so much, not just for taking the time to do this, but uh, for being willing to just, you know, be vulnerable and just talk about your, your work with us. So Jess, thank you so much. Thank you. And Samantha, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Field is produced by the Vermont Child Welfare Training Partnership and the state of Vermont. Our music is composed and performed by local band Brickdrop, and our sound production and engineering has been brought to you by Esmond Communications and Egan Media Productions. For Welcome to the Field, I'm Cassie Gillespie, and we'll see you next time.